The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. And I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights it's how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show today Hugh Newman, who returns after a bit of a break with us to talk about Earth energies and megalithic sites. So welcome back to the show, Hugh. Thanks for having me on again, Peter. It's great to have you here. So perhaps you could just remind our listeners a little bit about yourself and, and what your main involvements are. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm a megalithic research. That's primarily uh, what I do. Um, I write about ancient sites and earth energies and things like that, um, ley lines. And I sort of specialize in uh, global connections between these sites and similarities around the world. I've done a, the book Earth Grid, which kind of covers all these secret patterns all over the planet. Um, and, and I organize the Megalithomania conference uh, in, and, and the tours we do now um, all around the world. So um, we're getting out and about now on a bit of a global scale. And I've written, a, I've written a book about the psychic children as well, which is kind of several years ago now. So I'm not um, not really researching that anymore. But um, yeah, I'm just fascinated by the global phenomenon of these ancient sites and these ancient cultures and the way these earth energies and ley lines seem to all connect up into these um, amazing grids and patterns across the, across the earth. So the Indigo children, we actually talked about on the last show quite a bit. And, and of course, they're still very much involved in this, but that's not our topic for today. So let's actually talk then about these uh, secret patterns, as you call them, that go around the globe. Just, just talk a bit about that. Well, there's, there's different aspects here to look at this, just to clarify for your listeners. Um, we've got the classic ley lines, or lays, as they were originally called, um, and they were discovered by Alfred Watkins back in the 19, 1920s in England. Um, and these are just straight line alignments of ancient sites. It's like the, the line is visible, but the sites, when you join them up, you notice it's dead straight. And you get this phenomenon all around the planet. There seems to be an obsession with straightness, um, uh, all over in different ancient cultures. Um, you get it in Nazca, in Peru, where we're actually going to be visiting uh, in a couple of months. Um, and in North America, going out from various ancient um, sites and, and and literally all over the planet, um, especially in England, where obviously I live and, I, and I've done a lot of research. Um, but then you get the earth energies, which are kind of different, but they kind of connect in. And these are kind of natural telluric currents, but also... You get underground water, which creates charge on the surface, um, and you get all these different kinds of energies. And these ancient sites seem appear to have been built 
to harness these energies and uh, not just for um you know what well, for different different purposes really we, we can talk about you know different research that uh, research that's been done on that um and then you get this whole idea of these grids which is like you can imagine like ley lines but around the whole planet uh, and linking up and creating these kind of patterns in in the landscape and you get this again it, it just seems to me there was an ancient mega culture that you know had an understanding of this and they traveled the world sharing this knowledge and you know my mission really my kind of quest is to explore the planet and, and look for clues to this kind of these ancient civilizations and, and how they were working with these energies and how they were mapping the planet and surveying it and, and why they were really doing it i mean even today no one really knows um the mystery is, is still very very deep so let's t- talk uh, more specifically then because obviously the probably the best known ley line uh, in around is the Michael Mary ley line that runs through England and perhaps talk about that and how it connects into the so-called plumed and rainbow serpent lines well yeah this is fascinating because everyone most most of your listeners probably by now know about the the great Michael and uh, Michael kind of lay the straight line alignment and it's got these two energy lines kind of weaving around it um like a caduceus really across the whole of the southern uh, english landscape and there's been there's evidence now and this was originally put forward by robert coon about you know tw- about 25 years ago maybe 30 years ago now um where he believed that these, it was more like a great beam of energy and it went all the way around the planet in like a great circle or a great hoop um but he thought there was two of them which kind of intrigued me. Another one he called the Plume Serpent, whereas the, the extension of the Michael line was called the Rainbow Serpent. Um, so I've got to credit him, really, for inspiring me to get into all this. And, and also my, my friend and colleague, um, Tor Webster, who's doing, been doing a research project on this as well. And the thing about the English one, the, uh, the extension of the Michael line, the Rainbow Serpent, which I'll call it from now on, um, it goes right across the Atlantic um, and right down into Brazil and, and the Amazonian area and through Bolivia and through Lake Titicaca, right through the Island of the Sun. Um, now, this kind of intrigued me because I, I went there you know, in 2007 to like test this theory to see if there genuinely were any detectable energy currents on the Island of the Sun in Lake Titicaca um, because... The, the legends there as well are very interesting because these are these are known as serpent lines or dragon lines. There's a legend that says that Vera Kocha, whose name was that means the plumed serpent, who's the great teacher god of the Inca and pre-Incan civilization, he emerged from the lake on a raft of serpents, you know, on the plumed serpent energy line, um, where it crosses with the rainbow serpent energy line, um, which I found quite interesting. I actually found the extensions of these energy lines when I was there just by dowsing. So um, I've yet to meet another dowser who's been there and tested this theory, you know, with me or for me. But I'd like to take some geomancers and dowser along to double check that. But they both go around the world, but the one, there's two places they meet. One of them is down in Indonesia. The one I'm interested in is this Lake Titicaca, this island of the sun. And, uh, and then, but, the, but then you have the plumed serpent that goes the other way around the planet, and that goes all the way through the Americas, through Central America, up to North America. It goes through many of uh, the sites we're going to talk about today, and which I've, I've travelled to and will be travelling to, um, such as uh, the Olmec culture, uh, some of the Mayan sites in Mexico and Guatemala, and up through North America as well. It, it kind of goes through Mount Shasta and places like that so there's a lot of major um power spots on the planet which this particular system 
um, you know, get, they go through. Um, I mean, this is this is quite separate as well. This is like it probably, they probably do connect, but it is separate from the grid theory. Uh, this very harmonic geometrical grid, but that they certainly sort of interact with each other, and there are kind of connections between them. So, Hugh, what you've just said is really quite interesting because I've got a guest on uh, on October the third, Kevin McMahon. And he is doing a lot of work with uh, just with Google Earth, actually, and looking at the planet from a geometric pers- perspective. But he's tracked a, a line that runs from the island of the sun, and he specifically mentioned two places, Isla del Sol, and yeah. I think it's the same line that you're talking about that goes through Mount Shasta, which actually yeah. goes right through the center of downtown Victoria, where I live, and, <laughs> and, and then goes up into the Aleutian Islands up in Alaska. But he also he was watching a video of the space station orbit around the Earth, and the space station follows that grid line. He's he's actually done a little video of the two lined up, the grid line and the space station orbit. That's very interesting. Isn't I mean, it? if he's talking about going from the island of the Sun to Mount Shasta, it must be the same alignment. It really must yeah. be. Cause that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is basically more or less a straight kind of beam of energy around the planet. So you've got um, yeah. So you've got the as above, so below, right there. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm amazed it goes through your house. <laughs> well, not my house, my town. <laughs> oh, your town, okay. okay. Amazingly, the little spot he mentioned is a place, a little, it's a little orb of the globe called the Bright Pearl, which is a, it's a beautiful notion that, about that. So uh, before we move on, I want, I want you to explain to our listeners how you actually do the dowsing of the energy currents line when you're there. Uh, well, I just use a standard set of copper dowsing rods. Um, I got, I've been trained by um, uh, Sean Cohen. He's an expert geomancer uh, from Glastonbury, a good friend of mine. And I've, I've been dowsing with, uh, I've been involved in the British Society of Dowsers and uh, Hamish Miller and a few other you know, people who specialise in that. So I've kind of picked it up over the years. And it's just a very, you know, it's a very simple technique. I mean, anyone could pick it up. It's not, um, you know, it's not, you know, it's not some obscure thing that no one can do it. I mean, anyone can do it if they just apply themselves and, and tune in. So it's really just, a, it's really about your body picking up on the energies and sensing the energies. Um, and the, the dowsing rod, or, or some people use a pendulum, is just the, an antenna, really, that allows you to see when you found it. But it's your body that actually reacts, not the rod. Do, do you know what I mean? So Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot of people don't even need, rods anymore they just feel it in their body which is like what you know this is what the rod you kind of train with the rods and you get to a point where you can actually just feel it you kind of feel a slight sensation but you've got to like you know you've got to tune yourself in and you know you've got to meditate i meditate you know, quite a lot and just make sure i'm clear you know don't you don't think about anything else you just focus on what you're looking for um and then that is what you'll detect um eventually you know if it's there so yes it's quite an interesting you know phenomenon dowsing really i mean there's evidence of it going very very far back in, in time uh the whole feng shui system obviously um and also the, the western geomancy as well so one of the most important things obviously is getting out of the way yourself isn't it to get any preconceived notions you've got and just stepping aside and allowing the energies to come through you yeah, I, I believe that. I, I definitely believe that's the case. Yeah, it's really about clearing the mind and just allowing, you know, the present moment of where you're at and what you're looking for to be all that's in your consciousness. I think that's a good. It's a, it's a good, you know, spiritual technique as well. Just to, you know, absolutely. So when you so when you were there in Isla del Sol and you found these two places where the lines crossed, was that like a, a, a band or was it a very precise point? How did you feel that energetically? 
Yeah, that's quite interesting. Actually. I didn't have a great deal of time there. Um, and then, you know, this was back in 2007 originally. And I went there last year as well, um, but we did. We only had like half an hour there, so it's just not, not enough time to double-check it. But what is there, though, that, you know, it's just I basically found this quite powerful sort of male energy current, yang current, going in a certain direction, and it was going through this sort of like dolmen type thing, which is actually still on the island, and through this great kind of effigy where people still making offerings and there's all these candles and things that and right where that was is where the plume serpent energy crossed uh, with the rainbow serpent but the, the thing is <laughs> with the rainbow serpent as people know with the michael and mary line um because it's the same thing but global um is that there's two segments to it there's the mary line and the michael line and then there's the straits at michael axis um and the Michael energy line was on the north part of the island where this effigy was and where this um, dolmen was. On the south part of the island, that's where the Mary line went. But they sort of joined back up on the mainland. But I still haven't... I need to spend some time down there and kind of track them. Probably going to be doing that next year at some point. Um, but, yeah, and, and, and it's basically... You know, it's almost like it's marked, really, by this this dolmen. This, it's like a sort of small table. And it's, apparently, the, you know, I read I read up on it later that it's like the omphalos, or it's the you know, the centre of the world in Inca and pre-Incan tradition, the island, that, that spot on the island of the sun. And uh, this great effigy looks like a kind of, some people say, I thought it looked like a frog effigy, um, whereas others say it's like a uh, sort of dragon or serpent, uh, which is, you know, when you see the pictures, you you see what I mean. Um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, it's different ways to pick it up. I mean, I, I, I was just using my dowsing rods. Um, I, was, I was hurrying about, so I... I wasn't tuning in as best as I could, but the dowsing rods kind of help you uh, if you're in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, I recall when I was actually with Maria Wheatley in Avebury, and she was demonstrating where the Michael Mary lines actually come together. And there used yes. to be a, used to be a ring stone there, and people got married in that spot and passed their children through the hole in the ring because that was the place where all the male female energies was perfectly balanced. So it was the the, the ideal place to come together in a partnership. Yeah, that, that sounds like a sounds like a good plan. I mean, I mean, what what fascinates me is that you think about it. If you get you got someone standing at Avebury on these energy lines, you got someone standing at Lake Titicaca on these energy lines. You know, we're not, we're not on the in the lake, obviously, but in the on the island of the sun. You you know, you're connecting. You know, through this global current of energy, it's, it's mind blowing when you think about it. So let's just move on then and, and talk about how the megalithic structures that you've worked with and, and visited, how they fit in then onto these ley lines how, what, and how that works. Yeah, well, with the ley lines, the straight line alignments, there's, there seems to be a great survey, you know, when, when you really look at it. Um, you can't help but notice that there was like a sort of plan really to, to build these sites and map them out it was almost like uh they were built to last deliberately they, they were designed to never be budged so that would be very useful if you're navigating or you're traveling across the land you need navigation points signposts and things like that so there's, there's practical side to it and also just to map the territory as well and to often it was to, to find the center again like i said on the island of the sun it's like it's almost to find the centre of the land or, or of that culture. And it's something that John Michel wrote a fantastic book about, um, um, called The Centre of the World, late, lately republished as the sacred centre. Um, and I really believe that, that what he was talking about in that is, is true when you look at these ancient cultures. So you, have, so you have this kind of survey of this more mechanistic scientific approach, 
But then you get into the much more subtle approach, which is to do with the energies we've kind of already been talking about, where these sites, as well as being marker points on a great, you know, grid as such, or lay system, they're also like energy points, and they're built specifically where, the, where they could harness the natural energies that are stronger there than they are just over there. So they're built upon sites that people could feel this energy. Um, and then you have these energy lines. It's almost like they manipulated the energy and created energy lines between ancient sites. But why they would do that, I don't know. But this is this is one of the big big question marks over this whole subject. But it seems like that they were doing it to sort of bring energy into the land, into the landscape. Maybe there, there was something went wrong. Maybe there was a cataclysm, and it was about rebalancing, you know, bringing harmony back um, to the landscape. Um, but the energies still flow. That this is the thing, because um, it's from the earth. It's like a you know, it rotates. It's constantly moving. They knew that the energy would never stop if the site was built and it was built properly. You know what I mean? So, so that, I think I think that's a really important point that you can go and detect and experience these energies today, like five, eight thousand years later, however old the site is. And this is what kind of blows my mind. A lot of people don't realise. Uh, the significance of that is that like imagine would anyone today build something that would still be functioning 5,000 years in the future I, I don't think so um, so th th there's a lot to consider what with these sites and the way they were built to last and that could be one of the reasons they used earth with all these earthworks and mounds and you know pyramids in, in America and places like that and they used such huge stones that they were almost impossible um, to move them so they would definitely last forever and the energies would maintain themselves throughout the generations well actually we are here we're coming up to our break so uh we'll we'll take the break now when we return i'll get you to talk specifically about uh one of those uh, megalithic temple sites in Colombia. this is peter tongue for awakening to conscious co-creation The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Every life on Earth has the capability of knowing the world in a much more powerful way than what we've settled for. And Gaiam TV is there to support your journey in knowledge, awareness, and awakening. Our vision is to raise global consciousness by bringing viewers original interviews, inspiring films, and engaging series on today's most sought-after topics. We invite you to try Gaiam TV free for 10 days. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to claim your free trial. You won't look at your life and your world the same way again. That's G-A-I-A-M-T-V dot com. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change.
You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Just inviting you to check out my own website, www.petertung.com, where my latest newsletter full of information from August uh, is there and looking forward to all of the events of uh, September as we are now away in France on a sacred site tour with Finbar Ross and also www.myheartcenteredjourney.com and our Ambassadors of Light program. I have with me today Hugh Newman, and we're having a really interesting chat about the earth energies, earth currents, ley lines, and megalithic structures. And Hugh, I wanted you to continue now chatting about the experiences that you had in Colombia with some of the megalithic structures you discovered there. Well, I I was continuing um, traveling, really, uh, last year, and uh, I have a friend who lives in a place called San Augustine in southern Colombia, and I had a feeling that this plume serpent energy current probably went through Colombia. When you look at the map, it's, you know, it was a good chance um, it did. So I thought, well, I wanted to go to San Augustine anyway, because this is a particularly interesting place. Um, if people who want to go there, you have to pretty much fly to Bogota, the capital, where there's an incredible gold museum. Uh, it's probably the, the most significant and impressive gold museum in the world. Many ancient artifacts there, and I do recommend people check that out. And there's that famous, uh, well, it looks like a little mini aeroplane um, uh, that I think that's actually that was found in Colombia. And uh, that, in fact, the whole of Colombia was like a gold-producing country, uh, even though there's not that many megalithic ancient sites there which i find quite interesting but anyway you, you do a 10-hour bus ride from bogota to san augustine it's a beautiful little village uh, a small town sorry and even in the the main square you have these megalithic statues with these sort of growling fanged beast faces on them precision engineered cut and carved stone mind you um and the whole san augustine area stretches over uh, probably some people say 200 square miles in total, but there's some key sites all relatively near the town. And the Park Archaeologica is the, ma- the main one. And uh, so I went in there, and the first thing I saw when I went in there was um, what looked like two great serpents carved on this big stone on the, at the entrance to the site. And I thought, this is interesting. <laughs> what, what are the chances of that? And I'm, I kind of was looking for... Like, you know, potentially two serpent energy currents. So, so I found that as quite a little, an interesting little clue. I uh, continued into the site, and uh, one of the things that blew me away is that it's very dol- It's like a dolmen site. There's lots and lots of these dolmens, which is like several upright stones with a table slab on top. Um, but there was a much, much, much older level than the level everyone sees, which is like these these sort of carved shaped stones with these faces on, these whole bodies. Um, but when you actually in the ground about 10 or 15 sometimes 20 feet down so therefore a lot older was these british or english or european looking dolmens or passage graves they were clearly it just looked like i just stepped over to france or something um in the Brittany or mayenne region or something like that and it just it blew my mind i was like what when i kind of knew they were there but i, I didn't realize how similar they were um, to the ones you get in Europe. And this is like obscure. You don't get that anywhere else that I've seen in 
really Central or South America. That, that, that is the only place I've seen. I mean, I haven't been everywhere yet, but so that kind of blew me away. And these were at a much deeper level. And I, I, I thought, well, these must be really ancient because San Augustine apparently is only, you know, a few hundred BC. But I, I've ended up finding out that, it, that the earliest levels there were 3,300 BC, which is the same era, you know, Stonehenge, way before the Egyptian pyramids, um, the Mayan calendar, the Olmec calendar began around that era. So we're looking at the prehistoric kind of Neolithic time frame here. And this would fit in with uh, these ancient gods who were working with these plume serpent or rainbow serpent energies. But anyway, I, 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 I met up with a couple of friends there. We, we, we looked around the whole site, spent about two days looking around the whole area, three days in fact. Um, but, but the main site, I, I easily found uh, these energy currents, which seem to be different aspects of the plume serpent current. Um, and they really kind of, it's almost like they approach the site kind of fairly straight. And as soon as they get into the site, they kind of meander around as though whoever built it was actually controlling and working with these energies. Um, and these dolmens played a significant part. They almost like trap the energy in them. Um, so this this kind of, you know, if you, it's these sites all around the world that, I mean, hardly anyone visits this site in Colombia. And I really recommend people do. I mean, I think um, the UN have got a sort of, danger sign on that part of Colombia but I went there and I had a great time <laughs> everyone was really nice um, and so there isn't really any danger there as far as I could see but yeah it's well worth checking it out so that was just another kind of wow that's another kind of light bulb going off in my mind that the more evidence of these this global culture and working with these energies all around the world it absolutely blew me away and you mentioned uh, earlier about Viracocha and the, and the, and the ancient gods so what what is your understanding? And Quetzalcoatl presumably comes into that. So so just talk a bit about that. Yeah, that kind of that kind of fascinates me. I, I, mean, I first read read about that really in uh, uh, Graham Hancock's book, Fingerprint of the Gods. That kind of really inspired me about well, who what the, what's going on with these people. And you know, you actually go to Mexico and you know you talk to people. You go to Peru and you, you talk to you know you find out and the, the legends and, and the stories and uh, are still around. They're still revered. You know, there's not it's not been fully Christianized everywhere yet, um, but it really the stories are so familiar um, between Mexico and Central America and Bolivia and Peru that you can imagine it's the same story. It's the same person, the same group of people, where they arrived, you know, on a raft of serpents. They were tall. Uh, some say they had broad, long foreheads, which may be what you know Brian Forrester has been researching the elongated skulls maybe it was them um and they were fair-skinned blue-eyed bright energy coming out of them they were very intelligent and could speak many languages and basically taught the arts of civilization and culture um and you know were even vegetarians I find it really odd that these stories are there going into the history books going back hundreds of years all the Spanish chroniclers that they were reporting as well you know four or five hundred years ago um so we we know there was something going on that but who who were these people um and what's interesting is if you track the path of the plume serpent you sort of find evidence of um these particular peoples these great these gods that they were revered as um going back into prehistory and all these different places even right into the amazon as well there's been cultures and tribes that when some of the, you know, for four or five hundred years ago, three hundred years ago, people, English people were traveling there and researching it, they would find white tribe 
people in there with you know almost albino or red hair, fair skins, and you had the you had the famous Amazon women, um, warrior women, which isn't just you know from nineteen fifties movies. These were genuinely this was genuinely reported, and they were dangerous, and they were warriors, um, and they were fair skinned, and they were tall, kind of European looking people. Um, so you, you have this strange kind of you know you got to understand well. You know, there must have been diffusionists, there must have been travel going on in prehistory we just don't even know about. Um, so that kind of fascinates me. And I think, you know, the understanding, working with the earth energies is, is like the same way that, you know, we work with energies today. I mean, look at all the invisible energies we have now, like Wi-Fi, electricity, um, many different things. So it's the same. And they're using it for their purposes we need, that we require. So I think the earth energies that these ancient cultures were working with, Vimakotcha especially, I think he was one of the instigators of this, or Um that is the same sort of principles. Um, you know, they were like scientists as well as being like spiritual leaders. So, yeah, so that so there is there does seem to be uh, this kind of connection between all these different parts of the Americas and possibly around the world. So what's your own interpretation? Obviously, you're a very experienced Dowsie. You've, you've got, been to these sites all over the world and you've, you've been to the megalithic sites in Europe and now ones in Colombia and, and the intersection of the ley lines. So, so what, is, what, what is your own understanding and belief about what the whole thing is? That's, I mean, it's a, that's a very broad answer that's going to come from that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, it's, it's, it's a challenging question, actually, because um, you find so many clues that kind of fit in with what you want it to be, you know, this idea there was this global culture, but then there's so many other clues that kind of discredit that or contradict that, but are equally, equally fascinating. Um and so it's, it's a tough one. I'm still in the middle of researching this, really, Peter. So it's, it's tough for me to really give any solid kind of answers. But all I can say is, is that we there is, as Hancock rightly pointed out, there's this old period of prehistory, which we really know nothing about. And I think this is something I and other researchers are looking into. That's, that's why I organise the Megalithomania conferences and, and tours. So when we go to these sites, so when we meet up in you know conferences, we we can discuss it and explore and, and, and sort of you know see if any more clues will come out as we quest to find the truth. Now a lot of this uh, historical uh, perspective of the last five thousand years and even longer uh, is pointing to this time now in history of uh, December 21st, 2012, and obviously uh, the end of a cycle in the Mayan calendar. And so um, I'm going to actually take our second break now, but when we come back, I know you've done some research on December 21st, 2012 this year and the Mayan calendar and where that actually originated from. So in, in an interesting way, we can bring all of this historical energy forward into this present moment and into the next few months. So this is Peter Tong for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tong and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. 
Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Every life on Earth has the capability of knowing the world in a much more powerful way than what we've settled for. And Gaiam TV is there to support your journey in knowledge, awareness, and awakening. Our vision is to raise global consciousness by bringing viewers original interviews, inspiring films, and engaging series on today's most sought-after topics. We invite you to try Gaiam TV free for 10 days. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to claim your free trial. You won't look at your life and your world the same way again. That's G-A-I-A-M TV Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. Just like to remind you of our sponsors, guyamtv.com, G-A- IAMTV.com. Opening your mind, awakening your spirit. Original interviews with great visionaries. The world's first online video library devoted to supporting your awakening journey. And there is a free 10-day trial. Just click on the banner on the web, uh, host webpage for the show and you can experience uh, Guyam TV at your pleasure and your leisure for the next 10 days. And uh, look at some of the wonderful people that they have uh, on, their, on their videos, uh, some of the top spiritual people in the world. Hugh Newman, one of those top people, is with me today. And Hugh, uh, I just set this up for this segment to talk about uh, the Mayan calendar and the origins of it and December 21st, 2012. Over to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is actually quite controversial. And um, I've, I've written this quite lengthy article about how I believe through my research that origins of the calendar uh the long count calendar this is the 13th bacton cycle began on august the 11th um 3114 bc and ends on december 21st 2012 um and this is the great 5125.6 uh, i think year cycle um that's you know five of these equal you know kind of processional cycle so there's greater there's greater cycles here but what's interesting is that not only are we living in um <laughs> the end days of that calendar i mean there are obviously you probably had people on the show several times talking about the different prophecies this is two there's one major one the chilam balam which says there may be kind of cataclysms around fort Howe, which is december the 21st 2012 date but there's a, just this last few years this this year in june uh, a discovery was made at la corona in guatemala uh, a 1300 year old inscription was discovered that again actually has the tw- december the 21st 2012 date in mayan you know calendrics 
And another one was discovered a month before that in May at Zultan uh, in Guatemala, where they not only did they find references to this era, they found dates going over 4,000 years into the future. So that gives us a little bit of hope for all the doomsday people out there. <laughs> good, uh, so, good. And there's other, there's other evidence of that in Carigua and other sites as much they do project well into the future. I've been in discussions with John Major Jenkins, Jeff Stray, and Mark Healy about this article I've been doing, and um, I'm amazed how controversial it is to consider the origins about where these calendars really came from. But my idea and what I've been, because I've been to the Olmec sites, I've, I've researched them, I've, I've written about them quite um, substantially, I've done talks about them. Uh, but you find actually at um, some of the Olmec sites, particularly there's two, there's Chiapa de Corzo, which is a later potentially Olmec site, and then there's Tres Zapotes, uh, which is one of the classic ones. It's the kind of classic, um, you know, there's only about five left really Olmec sites to consider. But in the 50s, Matthew Sterling discovered this long count calendar date, which goes to 32, which basically references September the 1st or 2nd, uh, 32 BC. Now this, even though that's only 32 BC, that is the earliest known reference, apart from Chiapa de Corzo, which has 36 BC, to the long count calendar, to that kind of system. And uh, you've got to understand they were using multiple calendars. The, the Mayans developed lots of calendars, very complicated systems, interlocking kind of cog wheels. It's, it's too much to go into right now. But it's the long count one we're really considering here. And the other two of note are the Harb calendar, which is the solar 360 plus five day calendar. And then there's the Sulking calendar, which is the 260 day sacred count. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, a lot of numbers that I could throw at the listeners here, but I won't. But what, so what I believed was, is that because Tres Zapotas is clearly an Olmec site, it, it's clear that the long count calendar was originated by the Olmec, not by the Mayan. Um, and this really is, you know, it doesn't sound controversial to you or your listeners probably, but to the, the Mayanists, it is. Um, so I'm being, being a bit careful what I say here in case they're listening. Come on. <laughs> Don't um, worry about it. <laughs> but if you look, you look further into the Olmec world um, and you, you keep finding clues to this. Um, and this, this, I mean, if people don't know who the Olmecs are, I mean, this is absolutely mind blowing, this culture. These, everyone goes to Mexico, they just see all the Mayan sites, but there's this Olmec culture, which go like almost 2,000 years older than the Mayans, all along the Gulf Coast from Jalapa, Veracruz, all the way east to Villa Hermosa. And then they even went down into Oaxaca. And right down into Izapa and southern Guatemala, and some say they continued down um, into Central and South America. And this is where we start meeting up with um, the Viracochans and the Peruvians, because their carvings clearly show, you know, facial features of Black Africans. It's very you can clearly see the facial features. In other carvings, they have white people with beards, which is like. Quetzalcoatl and Viracocha and things like this and then they have all these almost like they have Japanese and Chinese looking carvings and all this jade so it's almost like there was this multicultural race um, going all through the whole Gulf Coast Mexico and Guatemala Central American region in prehistory at least 2000 BC and so I get a little bit frustrated when people keep telling me no 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 they couldn't have invented the calendar it was definitely the Mayans did it 100 BC at the earliest, and then they projected the date back. Um, and this is kind of what the standard 
thought is on it. And I know it probably it could well be that. But it's, it's really about, you know, I'm not trying to disprove anyone else's research. I'm just looking at it from you know, a different perspective, I'm trying to point out that there may be other clues that have yet to be discovered yet. And there's a calendar seal which has a Zolkin date on it, um, which goes back to 650 BC in the Olmec region. So we know they were using um, calendars then. There's another interesting yet undeciphered carving um, found um, near Veracruz, and it's called the Kaskjal Block. And this goes back to at least 900 BC. And there's other, there's this ear spool from Mexico City, which is like goes back to seven, six, seven, nine BC, which again has these calendar dates on them. And so I'm just putting it out there that the origins of the calendar was possibly Olmec or even before the Olmec. It could even be Quetzalcoatl when they originally arrived on the Gulf Coast. Because why did they start it in 3114 BC? I and mean, this is one of the big questions. Why start it then? Um, and that, but you look at what was going on around the world at that particular time, and there were things there were things going on. Um, I mean, one example. I mean, you look at the first pharaoh who was potentially called Nama or Menes, also known as the Scorpion King. He came into power, and the pharaonic reign began around three thousand one hundred and fourteen BC. Uh, before that, it was the, the followers of Horus cult that went on for many thousands of years. Um, According to Vedic scriptures, uh, in 3102 BC, it was the beginning of the Kali Yuga. Uh, many of the megalithic sites we talk about have been dated to being built or launched, you know, kind of instigated at this particular time, uh, including the first main phase of the Stonehenge earthworks before they put the stones in. Um, so there was something going on back then. It was like some kind of, maybe it was like what, what's happening to us now in 2012. Uh, where everyone's waking up and there's all this change and ideas and it's like a renaissance happening now was happening back then at the same time you know the same kind of thing was happening and they they knew even back you know in the Olmec re era they knew about the end date that something was going going on then which would be very similar to what was going on back in 3114 bc so i'm trying to sort of put a lot of information <laughs> out at you and your listeners um just about this but i think a lot of people um they sort of misunderstand the whole mayan calendar thing and just assume it's it's maya is doom and gloom when actually it probably isn't you know, it, you know, we create our realities, you know, culturally and individually. So it's up to us if we, you know, want to believe the 2012 Hollywood movie and all the doom and gloom stories or whether we want to do something about it ourselves. But I think with these dates stretching 4,000 years into the future, that gives us a little bit of extra time. <laughs> when you were talking about those uh, images, I was very much reminded of the four root races, the black, the white, the red and the yellow. And perhaps this was before we scattered across the planet and they were all together at some point. It just, yeah, that, that's, an inter- that's an interesting idea, actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. sort of, that's a little bit of thinking about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this, is, this is one of the things with, with the Olmec, which kind of fascinates me, um, that you, you can see, you clearly see. You, can, you just go there. You can see these stone carvings. It's, it's set in stone. You can't deny it. Is there? <laughs> uh, that there's different races, you know, there. That they might, well, they're just doing it from memory. They're guessing what people look like. No, they were all there. And I think it was a big trading area or something. Um, but it's right on the Plume Serpent Energy Current. And they built some of the earliest pyramids there. 
they were clearly working with magnetism and earth energies. We know that. You can, you, I mean, there's been archaeological reports and magne magnetic anomalies reported at pretty much all the Olmec sites. So we know they were working with these energies, whoever they were. Um, but again, uh, Quetzalcoatl, you know, appeared on a raft of serpents uh, on the Gulf Coast at a place called Quetzalcoatl, and that means serpent sanctuary. Um, but he then disappeared again you know, so many years later and was said he would return in the year one read, uh, which was incidentally that comes around frequently, but one read was also the same year that Hernan Cortez turned up on the Gulf coast in his raft of serpents or his boat with his fair skin, long beards. And they assumed it was the return of Quetzalcoatl and they let them rampage because everyone thought it was the return of Quetzalcoatl. And uh, so that was kind of strange. Even, you know, the origins of the legends and stories go a long, long way back into deep prehistory. Uh, and also, you know, one idea that I like is that, you know, this, this may, this is all speculation, really. I can't, I can't prove any of this, but that Quetzalcoatl was actually said in, in several different stories going back over the last hundred or so years that he was a te the teacher of the calendar. Uh, and there's just two or three references I've discovered that, that mention that which I find really interesting, which had been overlooked by almost everyone else. So that maybe, you know, that's where, you know, maybe they didn't invent the calendar entirely back at that time, but they developed it and that was the date they arrived. I think Zachariah Sitchin mentions that. But again, we're, we're leaping into speculation here and uh, if John Major Jenkins is listening, he'll probably slap me. When he's <laughs> um, but never mind. <laughs> you, can have a ch you can have a chat on December 21st, 2012. Hugh, we're coming up to our final break, so we'll take that break and we'll return with Hugh and Newman, Speed of Tongue for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Every life on Earth has the capability of knowing the world in a much more powerful way than what we've settled for. And Gaiam TV is there to support your journey in knowledge, awareness, and awakening. Our vision is to raise global consciousness by bringing viewers original interviews, inspiring films, and engaging series on today's most sought-after topics. We invite you to try Gaiam TV free for 10 days. Visit www.gaiamtv.com to claim your free trial. You won't look at your life and your world the same way again. That's G-A-I-A-M-TV.com. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. 
If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Having me today, Hugh Newman, who's giving us a fascinating overview of earth energy currents, the ley line structures, the megalithic structures that connect into those ley lines. So, Hugh, just uh, give our listeners some information about yourself and how they can connect with you. Yeah, sure. Um, they can go to megalithomania.co.uk. It's, it's easy to spell, megalithomania.co.uk. They want to find my page, they just put forward slash hughnewman.html at the end. Um, and they can find everything. I'm on Facebook and things like that, so people can contact me through that. That's no problem. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we're you know currently doing um, – I'm involved in a couple of conferences in America. I'm speaking at the CPAC conference in Palm Springs in uh, early October and at the Pythagoras uh, conference in Ken- near Kentucky, um, Indiana border, in the middle of October. And we're going to, you know, exploring the whole mound culture area um, throughout um, you know September October as well so yeah so I'm going to be over there um, we're doing a tour uh, with Robert Schock and with Brian Forrester in November uh, throughout uh, Nazca Peru Bolivia and we're doing a special trip to Easter Island uh, which is going to be absolutely mind-blowing so we've still got a few places left for those if people want to check out megalithomania.co.uk and um you were mentioning December the 21st, 2012, and, uh, you know, uh, what we're going to be doing then. Well, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be in Egypt with, um, uh, which is, I had this strange vision a few years ago that I would be in Egypt on December the 21st, 2012, and I wasn't planning to go there you know, at all, and it, you know, it kind of messes up my plans a little bit, but I kind of have to go because of this strange kind of thing that I had. Um, so we're going to be there with uh, Project Camelot team and Michael Tellinger and Kerry Cassidy and some others doing that. And that, Kerry's organising a tour over there, and I'm one of the guest speakers on that. So I've been there a few times. Uh, I've been researching a lot of the megalithic stuff in Egypt, and I'll be taking my dowsing rods there to see what else is going on. So I made a few discoveries there last time. So people can again, that's uh, all on the megalithomania.co.uk website. And speaking of Mexico, we. We're in talks with uh, David Hatcher Childress at the moment about doing a special Olmec um, kind of tour in uh, hopefully February or March 2013. Um, I want to let 2012 pass peacefully, <laughs> get that all out of the way, and then 2013 we can go and explore. Um, and we're going to check out all the many of the sites I was just talking about in the last segment. So again, people just keep, keep on the website. They can sign up to our mailing list and we'll keep up to date of um, our actions, what we're doing, our conferences and tours. Obviously, we do our annual conference every year uh, in Glastonbury, England, um, uh, with um, you know top international lineup of speakers on the 18th and 19th of May, 2013. We're still in the process of booking the speakers. There's going to be some quite um, fascinating talks going to be there, and uh, yeah, we're busy. We're just constantly <laughs> doing stuff. Um, can't really stop us now now we've started and uh we're looking at doing you know we, we just want to get around the world with megalithomania because it, we found we've done it in america last year we did it in new england and we've done it in south africa and we want to do it in australia um 
maybe do a series of conferences over there. Um, because, you know, what we find is, is that you get people who haven't had a chance to, you know, share their research or show sites they've discovered. Um, it's amazing what, you know, discoveries can be made when you actually get out to these places in groups or as part of conferences or tours. Um, and we're like dedicated, you know, hardcore megalithomaniacs and, you know, we have a lot of fun and, uh, you know, it's really great if people uh, want to join us. Where did the name Meg- Megalithomania come from? It comes from a book uh, published, uh, released in 1982 by John Michel called Megalithomania, Artists, Archaeologists and Antiquarians at the Old Stone Monuments. And it's just about how over the decades and centuries, uh, these megalithic sites have just turned people into crazed researchers ah. like myself um, and how, you know, just the, the compelling mystery of them. Uh, and, and the book was like about that, you know, and like, so we, that is exactly, you know, and, and he gave us our blessing. He spoke at the first two or three conferences before he sadly passed away. And he's, he's one of my biggest inspirations to be honest with you. Um, so yes, he gave us blessing. He let us use the name. He was there at the first few conferences and we just continue in the tradition of the great, great and wondrous John Michelle. It's a great name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a fun name. And I think it's like, you know, it lightens it up a bit because, you know, with, with ancient sites and, you know, archaeology can, can be a bit heavy and boring, but we're not like that. We kind of want to, you know, we have a lot of fun, uh, a lot of interaction, uh, dowsing. And we're, we're not, you know, we're not academic. We do have academic speakers and tour hosts sometimes, but we like to keep the, the floor open, really, because, you get people who've just been researching sites in their own backyard, you know, their own area. And then, then they're not academically qualified, but we still have them speak, you know, because, because they've got a fascinating research. So we don't, you know, we, we keep the doors open. We don't, you know, close the doors. Anyway, we talk about really random things, different things. We get into the crop circles and, uh, lands, you know, as you know, the landscape zodiacs, many different kind of more unusual subjects, uh, not just, uh, megalithic sites. And it all ties together, doesn't it? It does somehow, yeah. It always, se- yeah. It does seem to all blend nicely together, and uh, you just find, you know, you're always learning because the world is a megalithic world. We have to admit that now. The entire planet is covered in ancient, mysterious sites, and we're on a quest to kind of um, explore as much of that and research as much of that as we possibly can. So I've actually had Robert Shock and Brian Forster on the show, and and Robert quite recently. And, and I know he's, he's tremendously uh, knowledgeable, wonderful guy. Um, and he's part of your tour. And then Brian Forster, when he was on, he was talking about they were sending away some of the skull fragments for DNA testing. Has he had the results back from that? I think that's all in the process, actually. We're going to get, when we go there in November, we're going to have, um, hopefully the results will all be in and we'll be able to go and see these particular skulls. And since last year's tour, he's actually discovered several more skulls, which we're going to have a look at on the tour. And this is, this is why we work with Brian, because he's just so on the case with, you know, what's going on in Peru and Bolivia and the whole of that area that, you know, he's, he's just, he lives there. He studies it every day. He's a thorough researcher and he's a really, you know, really good chap as well. And he's a great tour guide as well. So, you know, we urge people to come and join us. We're going to be, we, we do it every year now, every October, November, but, but Brian's there all the time. If people are just in the vicinity, they can visit him in Cusco and surrounding areas. But yeah, so hopefully there's going to be some results coming in soon. And the, the Easter Island part of the trip, haven't they just discovered that in fact those heads actually go down quite deep in the ground? 
Well, yeah, this is what, I mean, this Easter Island thing absolutely blows me away. You, 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 I've just by looking, I haven't been, this is my first time to go there. So, I'm, you know, this is why I wanted to go with Robert Shock, who's like an expert on it. And, and Brian, who's been there as well. And they've been researching it on and off for years. So to go there with them two is a real privilege for me, <laughs> let alone the other people coming on. It's going to just be wonderful. But yeah, they found, what they found is, I mean, you look at some of the stonework on the bodies. I think they've covered some of them back up now, but there are some still exposed. But they look just like the ones at Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, which is what Robert's been researching. And also they look just like the same designers as in Peru and Bolivia. And so, again, we're suddenly seeing this global connection, um, you know, clearly, you know, uh, you know, just by looking, just by observing what's been left in stone. Um, and you get the same kind of legends and stories as you get in Peru and Turkey and different places. So. There's something going on we don't know about, which we're going to be having a good look at in November. <laughs> well, one of the key elements about the site in Turkey is its age that Robert's discovered there, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a, Klaus Schmidt is the main, um, the main archaeologist there, and he was originally saying 10,000 BC. Uh, you know, that was that was mind blowing enough. Now he's saying at least 12,000 BC, which is just outrageous. But then, so then you've got to like think, hang on a sec, the design and style, if that is the, that's the same pretty much as you get in Easter Island and in Peru, then are they all then suddenly that old as well, you know, or, or similar age? Or were they influenced by the earlier cult? You know what I mean? So there's this, and, and, and obviously the dating stone thing is a big problem. You can't date stone. Um, you can only date you know organic artifacts and you know stuff that's been discovered there which is often could be much later you know um and so yeah there's some interesting questions going to come up and i think you know robert's just returned from or just returning uh returned from uh, turkey and so he's seen the latest discoveries there and we're going to be he's going to be talking about that obviously uh on the tour when we're in bolivia and easter island so here we're actually uh, at the end of our time. That time has flown by very quickly. And so just remind us again, give us your website that people can connect with you for these tours and conferences. Yeah, sure. It's um, megalithomania.co.uk. Um, and if they want my page, all my sort of um, talks and books and videos, and there's, there's free stuff you can watch on there. It's just, you just put megalithomania.co.uk forward slash Hugh Newman dot HTML. That's all. Um, and there's, there's lots of every, every, we've got like you know six or seven years of lectures that people can watch 10 minute previews of and they can download them for just a few dollars a few pounds um you know which helps sort of fund the whole megalithomania project um because honestly some of the speakers we get in we have to fly in from all over the world and i don't think we'd survive if we didn't sell a few dvds and downloads <laughs> <laughs> trust me so, so we really appreciate it if people do you know support us by doing that so absolutely well thanks so much for your time today i really enjoyed having you on the show it's been a great update and uh, enjoy the rest of this year and, and hopefully egypt on december 21st 2012 thank you very much Peter. it's great to be on again Cheers. oh my pleasure cheers my guest next week is Lilu Mace, who has a huge following on her video recordings with some of the great spiritual speakers of the world. She's currently on her Juicy Living Tour of the World, currently in France. And I'm going to be interviewing her next week to see how her tour is going and get some insights into how we might want to be living our lives in a very happy, joyous and outgoing way with loads of success and abundance. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. 
We hope that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.